Hello and welcome to the Found Cause. We're Found Our Cause and Serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Michael Damon behind the machine, and to my right, your left is Sebastian, the bookkeeper. Got multiple books today, definitely the bookkeeper plus a laptop. Uh, Sebastian, I have one conspiracy theory for you. You ready to hear it? Okay. Uh, have you ever noticed the Illuminati, classic conspiracy theory group, and their symbol is the triangle, right? Okay, That's okay. Why, like Jay Z at his concerts putting up the triangle, and people are like, Illuminati, definitely, okay? Have you ever noticed? That also the Trinity, the supposedly Christian concept, is also a triangle. Coincidence? I think not. Or actually, it is totally is. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're here to talk about the Trinity today. No conspiracy theories. In fact, we're going to be debunking some conspiracy theories. So buckle up, hold on to your hats. We're going to be talking about the most exciting topic that you don't care about, nobody talks about. The Trinity. Starting off. We should care about it. We should care about it. Let's talk about why you should care about it. Um, this is thrown around a lot in like Dan Brown, the writer of the Da Vinci Code circles and other things like that. But there are many lies about how Christian doctrine has come to be. Uh, one of the central Christian doctrines that is central and therefore people try to attack a central doctrine is the Trinity or the triune nature of God. Three persons, one being God. Muslims don't like it. Jews don't like it. And of course, atheists and non-Christian cults don't like the Trinity. They try to attack the core essential being of God. So if you, as a Christian, don't understand or really uh, appreciate the fact that the Trinity is an amazing reality, um, know that you should care if the enemy cares, if people care, and if other religions often try to change the Trinity as one of their first things they do. So it must be very important if it is often tried to be changed somehow and lied about. The Mormons change it, the Jehovah's Witnesses change it. Seventh-day Adventists try to change it. Uh, Muslims and Jews, like I said, change it. And most other cults try to change it. Sebastian lists off like a million medieval cults that also denied the Trinity. And of course, if you ever look up like heresies on Wikipedia, almost all of them have something to do with denying the Trinity. So uh, let's talk about exactly what has gone wrong with the Trinity and uh, what we would deny. So first, Sebastian, you've said that you, we can we can give you a definition of the Trinity official, and we can do that. Um, it's a church-approved version of what we call the Trinity. But what are some things the Trinity is not, and that we should be careful about explaining the Trinity if we do it in these ways? Because you should be careful about it because of how many how many perversions of the Trinity have been thrown out throughout the years. There have been multiple explanations, especially in the early church, as they were trying to get their act together. And you know how do how do we use words to describe God? Mm -hmm. And as we all know, God is not exactly like us. He is far superior to us. He is, in the, I was saying quantifiably, you could say infinite. He is immortal. He is omnipresent, omniscient, many things that we're not. He can teleport in and out of creation, something for the Muslims, you know, to, con to consider. Uh -huh. And likewise, does God show himself in multiple modes? That was a problem in the early church. So people were saying that God is just, they were just saying a Unitarian God is take, putting on masks. One is the Spirit, one is the Son, one is the Father. And then he's showing up, he's the same, the same dude, but showing up in different locations. Which we refute. So I understand Trinitarianism, though it is a concept, we know triune God is taught everywhere. It's not usually expounded upon. And so we should say that that mask thing also called, known as modalism where god enters different modes different kinds so at one point god is jesus um, and when he is jesus the father does not exist 
And then equally, when Jesus went up to heaven, he became the Holy Spirit. And then so we have the Holy Spirit and therefore Jesus and God the Father don't exist. Most modalists won't explain it that clearly. Because, again, they're trying to obfuscate the truth. They're sons of the Satan. They're sons of the devil. They're trying to obfuscate an obvious truth. So, typically, they will not say that um, Jesus doesn't exist anymore and now it's the Holy Spirit. We've talked about this with the Oneness Pentecostal cult before, um, but they don't say that. In fact, I, I think we got a comment on that video saying that they don't say that. Um, I agree. They don't say that Jesus doesn't exist anymore, that the Holy Spirit exists. But that's what their theology says. So, they say the Spirit of Jesus is now what God is. And so it's still the spirit of Jesus, which we agree the Holy Spirit is the spirit of Jesus because of the triune nature of God, because the spirit of Jesus is the Holy Spirit. The spirit of God the Father is the Holy Spirit. And um, that's it. they all three exist at the same time. So we refute oneness Pentecostalism. We would say that we do not just baptize in the name of Jesus for a reason, because God is triune and equally um, we can worship Jesus, we can worship God the Father, and we can worship the Holy Spirit all in holiness. Now, they each take different roles. So I would say we don't pray to the Holy Spirit. We pray to God the Father through Jesus by the Holy Spirit. So each one of the, the persons of the Trinity voluntarily takes on a different role in most things. Mm -hmm. However, they are all equally God. So we'll, we'll explain the definition of the Trinity a little more official later in this. But those who try to sever it with modalism, which is one corruption of the Trinity, are mistaken. And if you find yourself saying that, oh, like Jesus is the Holy Spirit, that's wrong. He is not the Holy Spirit. He is God. Both are God, but they are not each other. Yes, exactly. And they're not three separate gods either, mm -hmm. right? Like some, I would say, Muhammad would have had that impression. It says, yeah. do not say three. And then he would, in another passage, he refers to them as... Mary, Jesus, and then the Father. So clearly there was some confusion yeah, there. understand, but whatever. Yes, that's that's for a Muslim episode we've talked about before yes, as well. Yes. So that's not the Trinity either. Mm -hmm. And likewise, when we speak to our Jewish friends, we do want to we do want to emphasize the unity of God. So what after Nicaea as well, what was what was established was they to use certain terms to distinguish Jesus, the Spirit, and the Father. They're clearly in both scripture. They're all of them are called God, the Yahweh of the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. At the same time, they're doing different things. They have different responsibilities, different duties, different different things that they're doing in relating to humans and to one another. But they are united in purpose. Part of what was discussed in the councils, starting in Nicaea and going afterwards, was what words can we use to for us to understand and communicate with one another to explain this phenomenon? And what we use nowadays is God is one being; He is three persons. Yeah, and let's let's put a pin in that because we're going to do the full definition in a bit. We're beating around the bush here, but so we've got modalism is a way of misrepresenting the trinity of exactly. heresy we've got um mormonism as well which you briefly mentioned is not the only one that does this but that separates jesus god the father the holy spirit amongst many infinite gods um, as three different gods that is also mm -hmm. wrong it's heresy it's not the trinity they are one god they are not three separate gods and so uh, mormonism is it's the most common one i can think of that does that but you'd think of any weird new age religions probably do the same and then another common 
misrepresentation of the Trinity, a heresy against the Trinity. So it misrepresents God and therefore we should detest it. It is from the devil. Is Arianism. Arianism. Yeah, I was trying to find, There's. There, I think there's another word for this, but where, where beliefs about Jesus um, somehow encapsulate that he was once not God mm-hmm. and that he became God. So that the nature of God changed at some point in history. Most famously, that's Arianism, if you're like a church history buff, but there are several beliefs that take that into account. Um, so it's not the only one. But earlier on in the church, in the years 200 and 300 AD, there became a belief, well, mainly 300 by, by Arius himself, there's a, uh, a man named Arius, hence Arianism, believers in Arian's thoughts, that postulated that there was a time at some point in history where the son, Jesus, was not existing that he actually emanates from the father so first there was the father and the father created all things and he including jesus and that jesus became god at some point whether it was in his life or in his um pre-existence arius would never say because he was trying to avoid the heresy claim Uh, but in any case this was such a controversial issue of the time that when emperor constantine emperor rome eastern roman empire in particular came to power and wanted to uh, adopt Christianity, he wanted the Christians to come to an agreement on this issue. Were they Arians or were they Trinitarians? And so he called the Council of Nicaea and had the Church Fathers come to the Council at the city of Nicaea in 360-something. I should know this, but 360-something AD. Mm -hmm. He calls the Council of Nicaea, and many of the modern day will point to the Council of Nicaea and say, this is when modern Christian doctrine was solidified. And before this, Christians believed totally different things, and they were totally disparate. And um, this is when things like the Trinity and the books of the Bible were created. So, and you'll hear people say this all the time. The Bible, Joe Rogan says this, the Bible was created at the Council of Nicaea. Oh my gosh. The, the, the doctrine of the Trinity was created at the Council of Nicaea, and, and many other things, or that the church was disunited on whether or not Jesus was God until the Council of Nicaea, where they like bullied people into believing it. None of that's true. Even the Arians coming in believe that Jesus was God. They just believe a different timing about when he was God. Now, it's a dangerous heresy, but I don't know that every Arian of the day was lost and um, because their beliefs were very similar. That's why that's why they were surviving. Usually heresies don't aren't so different. That's how they sneak in and survive. Mm-hmm. 325, by the way, was the Council. 325, yes. thank you. Yes. So... To combat the Dan Brown, the author of The Da Vinci Code and, and Angels and Demons and whatever else, these popular novels, talks about many weird church theories. But one of them is that the Bible was created at the Council of Nicaea from uh, different books and that the bishops there were deciding what theology they liked and what theology they didn't and then picking and choosing what they'd include and what they wouldn't include in the official canon. It's not true. We've talked about that many times before. So I, I don't want to belabor that point. But uh, not only is that not true, the whole reason for the council was the Trinity. So some more reasonable scholars will claim, well, that's when the Trinity was made as a concept or at least solidified. Um, But again, the truth is that the Council of Nicaea, the Trinity does win out against Arianism at the Council of Nicaea. They officially adopt Trinitarian beliefs as a credo and reject Arian beliefs there at the Council of Nicaea. However, the story doesn't end there because after that council, the Trinitarian team basically loses, even though they won the council, they lose the hearts and minds of bishops everywhere. And the majority of the East, in fact, all the major um, cities and, and bishoprics of the Eastern church become Arian soon afterwards. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a famous teacher down in uh, Egypt called Athanasius, who he's informed that it's going to be him 
who's a Trinitarian versus the entire world if he doesn't change his belief. It'll be him versus every other bishop, uh, all the other ones that become Arians. And he said, let it be known that Athanasius is against the entire world. Yeah, it's called, uh, he said it in Latin, so I think it's Athanasius Contramunde or whatever. But the point is, um, Arianism becomes big anyways. So clearly this mm -hmm. council wasn't all powerful because it didn't even stop the Arians from, from becoming big. Focusing back on the Trinity, what is Arianism? It's the belief that Jesus Christ was once not God and became God at some point. They said this anointingness of Christ. And though it is, it still believes that Jesus is God, um, it is important to not misrepresent God's character with something that's out of the Bible, and therefore we reject Arianism. And modern believers, I don't think we should be given very much room at all for heresy like that. We shouldn't tolerate it in the church. We shouldn't tolerate it amongst fellow believers. We should immediately correct it. Trinitarianism is such a... Um, easy and established theology of the church that those who reject it are knowingly rejecting something that's super established why are they doing that if not being tempted by some weird enemy or some cult so people who are coming out of cults um, i would also strongly advise not tolerating any anti-trinitarian beliefs out of them because the cults they're coming from did not allow uh trinitarian beliefs and therefore it's just a remnant of their cult days and they really should not be holding on to that so we've attacked modalism we attacked mormonism and other things like it with polytheistic gods now we've attacked these other perversions of the trinity some say that the holy spirit is not god um, yes the neumatomachoi which were spirit fighters literally spirit fighters but yeah they died out they're dead yes so there you go um, arianism is a popular one and other beliefs like it that like um, historianism not the not the slanderous kind that the East might have been, but like genuine definitional Nestorianism where they believe that Jesus was a possessed man. He got possessed by the Holy Spirit. Um, that's another one that, that we reject anti-Trinitarian. Um, I would say the last common anti-Trinitarian belief is Unitarianism. And you talked about it, Sebastian. And that is the belief that God, the Father, is really the only God out there. And so there's different flavors of it. They'll say, some will say it's modalism. That is a Unitarian belief that God the Father transforms into Jesus Christ and then he transforms in the Holy Spirit. Some would say that Jesus Christ is not God. So Jehovah's Witnesses are Unitarian. They believe that Jesus Christ is not God, mm -hmm. that he's like firstborn above all creation, that he's the Archangel Michael, that he's this big deal, but he's not God. I might be confusing. Is the Archangel Michael in Seventh-day Adventism? And I don't, I'd, I'd have to brush up on Jehovah's Witnesses to remember that one. But in any case, he's the first above, above all creation, but he's not God. He might be a God, little g, like I guess we're gods in some way, like little judges, but he's not God, the God, which again, we refute, we reject Jesus is God. So is the Holy Spirit. Jehovah's Witnesses say that the Holy Spirit is just a force emanating from God the Father. It's not a person. We affirm that it is a person. He is called the Counselor. And so he is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. Um, in any case, those are the errors of mm -hmm. Trinitarianism. And you probably, if you've been around Christians in your life, we've Christians like to talk about anti-Trinitarian dogmas because it was such a big deal, especially in the Middle Ages, that it's, it's kind of like possessed the Christian psyche to be thinking about those who are anti-Trinitarian. And so you might be thinking, ah, whatever, it's an old person's thing. Like now we have bigger issues, right? There's the woke church movement. There's... Um, Muslims invading. There's a million other things to be caring about except for, and we don't really have to care about Trinitarianism. Isn't this already an established fact or does it even matter? And we would say there's a reason Christians fought so hard for over a thousand years in the early portion of the church to keep stamping out anti-Trinitarian heresies and why they keep popping up again. That's not because it's true, but because the devil wants to pervert the faith and or the devil, or the enemy, the flesh, whatever you want to call the thing that's opposed to God. We are um, fighting against that core attack on God's character. 
And so the Trinity is a very important issue to get right. It speaks to God's character, and those who reject it are rejecting God. So I would say those who reject the Trinity really don't know God. So they might re- they might misrepresent it, and you can correct them, but if they don't take correction on it, and they stay Arians, they stay Nestorians, they stay Jehovah's Witnesses, they are not from God. They're, they're sons of the devil. So all that being said, let's officially, we talked about it a little bit, let's officially define the Trinity. Sebastian, how would you do officially define the Trinity? Simple as it can be, as I've taught my kids at church that I, for my class that I teach, one being, three persons. When I get to it, as basic as it can be, that's the wording that we think is best to explain that. So, one being, remember, everyone and every good Jew knows the Shema. Hear Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Say that whenever you wake up, at least for, you know, for our Jewish friends out there. Mm-hmm. Pray that. Our Lord is one. Okay. Is Jesus usurping a new be- the God of the Old Testament? Not at all. He is a continuation. He is the fulfillment of all the prophecies from the Old Testament. And we'll also get to where they where there are hints of the Trinity in the Old Testament. We'll get to that later. But he is not usurping anything. He is fulfilling the law, prophecies of the Old Testament, and he is in union with the Father. We would call we'll just call him Yahweh in the Old Testament. He's also called God at the same time, Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And so is the Spirit. But as I mentioned before, they do different things. They show themselves in different ways, yet it's one God. Mm-hmm. Again, Shema Israel Yahweh or Adonai Eloheinu for our Jewish friends out there. Anyway, all of that goes to say is they are united in one in purpose. They're not rebelling or plotting against each other. They're one being. And he, God, has decided to reveal himself in, th- in these three ways. The Son, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. Yes. Did I miss anything, Michael? No, I, would, I, would, I mean, the basic principle, the, like the correct code word, though it takes some translating, like we were just trying to translate it, is it's one being, three persons. And being sometimes is rendered essence. So like the... The thing that makes up God is all one. They're all yeah. made of the same material and they are all the same material, right? So it's not like they're made up of the same God presence. So they're really like three divine beings because that's not true. They're one divine being. Mm-hmm. So that's that's why we don't say essence. We really say being. Exactly. Um, but they are three persons, distinct persons. So the father is not the son. The son is not the father. The spirit is not either of them either, but they are all the same God. And that's just to say like when you're talking to the spirit, the Spirit is in, is in utter 100% agreement with the Father and the Son. They will never say things that are different. However, um, you are not currently speaking to the Father. So you could say in a way, like when Jesus says, when two or more of you are gathered together, I am there among you. you. He can say that, and he's being truthful. Of course, he's God. But we would ascribe that really the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, is there among us and that he's representing Jesus, and therefore Jesus is with us via the Holy Spirit. But Jesus himself is a distinct person from the Holy Spirit. So when the mm-hmm. Holy Spirit is there, we wouldn't say that is Jesus. We would call that the Spirit of Jesus or the Holy Spirit, whatever you want to call that person of the Trinity, is distinct from Jesus. And then equally, when Jesus says, I will sit at the right hand of my Father, he's not sitting at the right hand of himself. He is God, and God the Father is God. But He, but Jesus is distinct from the Father, and therefore the Father has Jesus sit as his right hand at the king of the earth. But they're both God, mm-hmm. the same God. Yep, and even in as 
we've gone over before in the epistle to the Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews, Jesus intercedes as high priest and, and more theological to the Father mm -hmm. on our behalf. So they have equal value. And again, let's just emphasize this further from the Old Testament. And we affirm this, you and I, Michael, we affirm this from Isaiah 45. I am the Lord and there is no other. Apart from me, there is no God. So again, one. One God. Yep. And some will say, uh, I would say exclusively anti-Trinitarians, because normal people I don't think say this, but exclusively anti-Trinitarians will say, um, that doesn't make sense. That's confusing. Okay. I mean, to some extent, we don't know God like a person would, or like we know a person. So, and he is not a person like we are. And so therefore, he is going to be more complicated than us. We'd expect we wouldn't understand fully how God operates. So is it kind of confusing that he is one being, but three persons? Yeah, because that's not the way we are. But it's not anti-logical. And equally, it's not hard to understand. Like little children understand this concept. All you have to do is memorize what we just said, right? And I mean, you understand it. Like, okay, Jesus is not the Father. The Father's not Jesus. And the Spirit is not either of them. But they're all God. Okay. I mean, if you don't understand like all the nuances and intricacies like you would a regular person, um, it shouldn't be surprising because, again, he is God. So the fact that we don't fully understand that that concept um, really shouldn't confuse anybody to be like okay i mean i sit there and say okay so those who claim that that's super confusing and they can't accept that i i distrust their their reasoning likewise now that it just came to mind do we understand how exactly jesus turned water into wine can you can you actually like did he change the atoms how did he do it did he have nuclear powers to change the matter how, how did he do it there will be there probably be a lot of radiation and that happened, you know, and in not of his in, fusion, but yeah, whatever, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and also, how did he multiply the bread and the fishes? Mm -hmm. Do you do, do, I mean, does that cause you to doubt him actually performing those miracles? I don't understand how did he do it, right? But you don't, and any regular Christian would say, yeah, okay, I mean, he did it, right? We believe it; it's miraculous. But he did it; we believe it; it's God. So equally, here's the Trinity. We're gonna go prove it in the text. So we're not just saying take our word for it; take the the church's word on it. We'd like to examine and why we've come to this conclusion, why the church has come to this conclusion through the Word of God, through the texts. But barring that conversation, um, what pans out of the text is this triune nature of God, and that's that. You know, accept it or deny God. That's really your two options. Mm -hmm. And. Nicaea wasn't the first time the word Trinity really came to be. Mm -hmm. For the record, Tertullian, uh, an interesting person. Quite Early church father, 200s? Yeah, yeah 200, exactly 200. Yes, okay. he died to 20, but 200s. He did coin the term Trinitas, like triunity pretty much, in order to explain early on of the role between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So mm -hmm. this is precedes, precedes Nicaea. So this isn't something that's just, you know, conjecture or whatnot. Do you want to go to the Bible to get some verses? Or would you also want to go to some other sources first? Let's get to some of the other sources. All we want to prove here is that, so we've, we've talked about the problems with anti-Trinitarianism. Now we've talked about the Trinity and define it. Let's transition into its history. And again, how the early church came to the conclusions about the Trinity that we also hold to using the same reasoning today. So let's go to some early sources before we get into the actual scripture. Excellent, excellent. I have as early as it gets. Well, besides the Bible, of course. But the Didache, it's a nice, easy to read. You gave it to me for one of my birthday presents. Mm -hmm. Absolutely excellent. It's 30 pages. Yeah, 30 pages. Everyone. I've never read the Didache, but you should read the Didache. You're my local, my resident. 
expert. Yes. Pretty easy. Pretty easy to read, as you can see. Anyway, on the section of baptism, this actually tells us a lot. By by the way by the way the church operated, that actually tells you a lot. We talked in other episodes just you know to reference those on Catholicism, for example, or the or the the belief in the Eucharist. There is no consecration of the bread and wine, mm -hmm. and it is explained, and we understand we have evidence that the church met in apartments or houses, and then had a communion feast there, like the Lord's Supper, after service, as just a dinner, pretty much. Oh, and obviously, that you know, in memory of Jesus ceremony. All that to say, early church tradition is useful for a lot of reasons. One of them is the Trinity. Yes, and then on baptism. I could say a lot, but let's focus now on this. It says, first, concerning baptism, baptize this way. First, go over all these things as, that have already been said. Then baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Baptize in running water. But if you have no, but if you have no running water, baptize in some other water. Baptize in cold water. And it goes on. What do you notice first? Baptize... In the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. And also, repeat, it repeats back again. If you do not have a place with water, then pour water in the head three times in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. Twice this shows up in the, in the name of these three people. And no. As a side note, this is also expected to be immersion. Dunk. Yes, immersion baptism, mm -hmm. running water, and the one baptizing and the one being baptized should fast for one or two days before baptism. So probably not a baby. That would be really bad yes, to start a baby. Yes, and that's not to say that's the way you need to do baptism now, but it's showing you early church tradition. That's all we're trying to prove right now is early church tradition here out of Egypt, I think is where the decay is uh -huh. from. Um, they have triple dunking baptism, which again, we don't do today. So I'm not saying we like need to do everything <laughs> to the decay, but the early church tradition was to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the triune God. And so though there are those who go point back to the Council of Nicaea and say that there was a minority or that it was like the bishops trying to force it on the people, that early church tradition didn't have the Trinity and that it was forced in. We would say that that from the Didache as well as the scripture that talks about the Trinity point to the trinity right that you don't you don't need to have waited to the council of nicaea to have the trinity showing itself in church belief and that phrase of course probably is not very surprising to you baptizing people in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit because it's also at the very end of matthew and other gospels matthew 26 at the very end jesus says um, go forth, make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to obey my commands and everything I've told you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And remember, I'll be with you always to the end of the age. So that's Jesus' mm. final words, the Great Commission. And so his final words in Matthew are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Considering that is so obviously a reference to the Trinity, mm -hmm. um, oneness, going back to the oneness Pentecostals, but other oneness groups, people who deny the Trinity, they will often say that this is an addition or it doesn't really mean what you think it means and that the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is just Jesus because they're all one person. So they'll say you really just baptize in the name of Jesus only because they refer to some passage in Mark that says baptize in the name of Jesus. Okay, uh, so I would say that the uh, are we, we've talked about the oneness Pentecostals before, so I don't mm -hmm. want to get too deep in there. I was just about to go enough a rabbit hole. 
But long story short, the we would claim that it's not an addition, later addition to Matthew or something like that. It's not a later doctoring by the church. This Didache wasn't even rediscovered until recently, like in the 1800s. Uh-huh. Um, so it's not like this is a well-known thing that the church would have doctored the Didache either. These are genuine Christian beliefs from early Christian times that were not affected by the controversy at Nicaea. And in Nicaea, they weren't whipping out things that hadn't been discussed before. The Trinity was a common belief among believing Christians. Yes. Keep in mind, this was this the Didache was compiled during a time of persecution when Christians were a minority. There was no state support. Again, no way to really doctor or edit or insert secret things to the belief. What they had was, and also they had no prior traditions. They, I mean, I mean, you can count Judaism, sure, but they didn't have some expert theologians besides Jesus himself or the apostles to base their beliefs on. Now, we should point out at this moment that the word Trinity does not appear in the Bible. And every bucktooth atheist and anti-Trinitarian alike will be like, ha checkmates, Trinitarians. You know, it doesn't say Trinity in the Bible. Okay, I mean, it also doesn't say woke church, but we would refute the woke church. It also doesn't say, like... Mormonism? Mormonism, but we refute Mormonism. So the Bible gives us the means to understand what we would call the Trinity. But you can call it whatever you want, but it's the triune nature of God that we're talking about. So this three persons, one being. And again, those words don't exist in the Bible. They don't appear in that order. We're not saying it does, but we're saying that the doctrine you get out of the Bible is the Trinity. What else would you get out of the Bible? And so we would refute Unitarians based on uh, that baptism line. We would refute them based off of the lines in Revelation. Then the Father is called the one who was and is to come, and so is Jesus. They call the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Both Jesus and the Father are called that. So we would call them the same God, not the same person, but the same God. And equally, um, the texts of the Old Testament have uh, Christophanes is what we call them today. So Christ appearing before his coming in the New Testament. He appears in the Old Testament. We know and can assert that it is not the Father who appears in these scenarios because the Father is said that any who sees God and li- uh, dies. And so there are many characters in the Old Testament that will say, or a couple key ones I should say, that say, I've seen God and live. Israel, Jacob, son of Isaac, says that. He says, I've seen God and lived. And so he names a place I've seen God. Uh, the face of God. face of God, right? And that's a Christophany where he wrestles God, who is this angel of God. It's not an angel that is not God. When it says the angel of God, you could be persuaded to think that it's just a messenger from God. But we would say that it is a messenger from God, who is God himself. It's the word, the word of God. Yes, the word of God appearing. So it's not God the Father, because he didn't blind um, Jacob. Jacob did not die. He wrestled with him, right? So he was not only shrouding his own glory, but also able to appear on earth like that. And so we would say those kind of scenarios... To Jacob, um, Adam and Eve are walking with God. I would call that yes, Christophany yes. as well because they also didn't die. Now they had sinned, but he comes to them after they've sinned and they still don't die. They die eventually, right? But not, <laughs> not there, right, right there. And so um, all those things being said, we would assert that although the Jews did not understand the Trinity in the Old Testament, we would say they did not. They did not. We're not claiming they mm-hmm, did. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's a revelation post, post the Old Testament um, that nonetheless it was still true in the old testament that god was triune and therefore we see these appearances of god that the jews did not know how to explain like the christophanes with with jacob with the garden of eden and i have one here this is a pretty famous one in 
Sebastian's like a super fan of this one. So oh, I'm always... teaching. I'm teaching this next this Sunday in my church. So I can't not quote it directly. This is from Genesis 18 um, with Abraham. It says the Lord appeared to Abraham at the Oaks of Mamre while he was sitting in the entrance of his tent during the heat of the day. He looked up and he saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the entrance of the tent to meet them, bowed to the ground, and said, "My Lord, if I have found favor with you, please do not go on past your servant. Let a little water be brought that you may that." You may wash your feet and rest yourselves under this tree. I'll bring a bit of bit of bread so that you may strengthen yourselves. This is why you have passed your servant's way. Later, you can continue on. Yes, they replied. Do as you have said. And then he goes on, of course, the whole meeting and Sarah laughs and the rest. You probably know the story. But the point there is that the Lord appeared to Abraham. Now, he sees three men. I guess you could say, ah, Trinity, three men. I don't really think that's what's yeah, going I was saying, on. Yes, I think hold it, your I think horses here. Yes. I, think it's angel, I think it's two angels flanking the Lord. But in any case, um, one of them is the Lord because it's the Lord somehow appearing to Abraham. And in this appearance to Abraham, he gets his feet washed, he eats a bit of bread, and he doesn't kill Abraham, right? He <laughs> shows up and Abraham not only recognizes him as his Lord, but also um, doesn't die. So those things being said, we would assert that that is not the Father. It can't be the Father. It must be the angel of the Lord, which is Jesus Christ. Now, it's not an angel from the Lord. It is the angel of the Lord, which again, we assert is Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Same goes for, uh, there's, there's other examples of this in the Old Testament. So it's not, these aren't the only ones, but Radshak, Meshach, and Abednego, the famous story from Daniel, where they get sent into the fiery furnace, but don't burn up. There's a fourth man standing there with them, one who looks like the Son of God. Now, the Son of God can be a general term for just a God, right? Some mm-hmm. shining thing. So, I wouldn't, I wouldn't relate son of God to like the son of God, son of Mary mm-hmm. note, but there are four men in the fire and we would assert that that one that appears is actually the Lord, the angel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So once again, we would call that the word. It's not God the Father because Radshak didn't die. And that was kind of the whole point, right? They didn't <laughs> die in the fire. Um, we've kind of defeated the purpose if they didn't get burned in the fire, but then died anyways. Um, this is necessitating at least two distinct persons that are both called God, the one God, as the Old Testament asserts all the time. <laughs> now, I have a question for you. You probably know this already, Michael. I hope you do. In the Holy of Holies, once the temple is built in Jerusalem, mm-hmm. what, besides the high priest and the items there, what was floating around in the Holy of Holies? Uh, smoke, holy smoke, the Spirit of God is what it Aha, is. Aha, mm-hmm. exactly. The ru- Actually, I was going to say in Arabic. The ruah is in... The spirit, the mm-hmm. breath of God, is in there in the temple. So we would say as the Holy Spirit, you have many occasions in which the Spirit of God, as it's hard to refer to in the Old Testament, the Spirit of the Lord, enters Samson, and that makes him really strong. Mm-hmm. And then he kills the Philistines and whatnot. That's whatever he does. When Jethro also goes out to battle, one of the judge, another one of the judges, he gets filled with the Spirit and then charges to battle. Deborah, I'm pretty sure when she gives her song, this is pretty. I'm, I'm I'm surprised how much I remember from Judges. Anyway, anyway, uh, also spil- filled with the Spirit and proclaims her song. Mm-hmm. Then, with well, let me just speak to the smoke moment for a second. Yes, yes, please. The, this holy smoke, the pillar of cloud and, and fire that appears to the Israelites and leads them around the desert. I would also testify it could be just a physical phenomenon. So I'm not saying that's exactly what it is but it says the lord led them around and the lord does appear in this cl- smoke cloud this cloud of what they call smoke i don't know what you call mm-hmm. it maybe it is just smoke um, but in any case that is synonymous i would say again with the spirit of the lord the holy spirit spirit of jesus spirit of the father whatever you want to call it but it is a distinct person because god says and promises to david and to solomon i will dwell in this temple 
But God the Father isn't dwelling in the Temple of Solomon, nor was he dwelling in the, the second temple either. God himself, the Father, stayed always seated in his throne. There wasn't a big throne for him that he sat down on and people came to worship his feet or something like that. It wasn't present in the temple. There was the Ark of the Covenant, in which the Lord s- s- dwelt in between the cherubim. Then he filled the whole whole place with the smoke. But God the Father wasn't sitting in between the cherubim. He's not that small and, and <laughs> a whole other list of reasons that I just said. He was not in the temple. Yet, he says, I will dwell in the temple. Not, I'll make it look like I'm dwelling in the temple. Not my power will dwell in the temple or something extended from me will dwell in the temple. He says, I will dwell in that temple. And so, we say, it's not God the Father. And yet, he says he will dwell in the temple. How else is that possible? Except that he, God, will dwell in the temple. And the person of God the Father is in heaven. The person of the Holy Spirit is is everywhere, omniscient, and is in the temple. So, we would say the, the Spirit of God dwelt in the temple. And the Spirit of God is a personal person it is a being itself he is a being itself and he dwelt in the temple mm-hmm. we can grieve the holy spirit and the spirit also intercedes for us when we're at a loss of words we get that from the new testament but yep. also as i've sh- we've shown he shows up in the old testament the one example i forgot but now remember because he's mentioned this guy is mentioned in the transfiguration mount elijah elijah gets filled with the holy spirit and in one of the most entertaining moments in the bible he sprints like an Olympic athlete, and beats the chariots of the king and arrives to the city ahead of the king. So I'm just imagining some old man sprinting like an Olympic athlete with a long beard and then pulling up his robes and just charging like the wind. That's the Holy Spirit that aids him to do to do that. Now, I mentioned Elijah at the Mount of Transfig when Jesus is transfigured. Mm-hmm. In Matthew 17, you probably already you probably had it memorized, you know, when you when you're looking at that. But but Peter, Peter's there, and James and John. Then Jesus transfigures, shines like the sun, clothes become white as light, and then appeared before the Moses and Elijah. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud or smoke covered them, And a voice from the cloud or smoke said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. There you see the son surrounded by the presence of the symbol of the spirit. And then the voice of the father Mm -hmm. speaking from the heavens. And then you see also why would Moses and Elijah be there? Because they were people who saw part of the glory of God but never saw him fully now. They're seeing it displayed before their eyes. And equally, just another one from Matthew, it's from the Gospels um, in general too. When Jesus is baptized, um, his, he comes up from the water and it says the, the heavens were opened and the Spirit of God came down like a dove. So we'd say the Spirit of God is the, is the dove thing coming down on him. So whatever form the Spirit takes is coming down on Jesus, another person of the Trinity. And then a voice from heaven says, this is my beloved Simon with whom I am well pleased, just like that, that instance in the Transfiguration Mountain. So in both scenarios, it is a triune revelation of God, the Trinity working in union. So mm-hmm. the, the Spirit comes down, God the Father speaks, and Jesus is there present. Equally, when Jesus is led out to the desert, it says the Spirit led him out in the desert to be tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. So that, that same thing. Jesus is being led by the Spirit, and we would discern that this is a plan from the Father. So they're all working in concert. They're not fighting against each other. They're in perfect unity. That's why it's unity, tri-unity, trinity. They're three beings in total unity. We will never enter the trinity. Me and Sebastian will never. No people ever will. This has been existent before and will be forevermore. 
three persons. Did Not three beings, yeah. Oh, did I say beings? It's okay. I've done it's okay. I've done Look that. Look at before. that. Okay, so you had to be tricky. And here's, <laughs> here's me showing you in real life why you have to be careful about what you say. It. One being, three persons. Yes. It's just, again, for the sake of clarity, so we can communicate something that's very complex about God. Mm-hmm. And we, I mean, we could just continue with, with the scripture here from First Peter, the guy himself who saw Jesus transfigured and also supposedly the first pope. Yep. Take that as you may. Says, to God's, oh, this, oh, this is excellent. To God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Okay, good focus on the Trinity, but I also want to highlight something about foreknowledge, election. rabbit trailed, yes. Yes, let's not do that. But yes, you see there, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yes. And this is evident, so it's not a conspiracy added into the Bible. Yes, they don't use the words of the Trinity because they're assuming the attributes of the Trinity. They're assuming the attributes of the Trinity um, without having to call it something. So we've called it something because many who have tried to fight against it. Um, but that's that's we don't hold to the Trinity because it says the words of the Trinity in the Bible. Right? We hold to the Trinity because it's the result of believing in the Bible. So again, I would say that if you have a friend who rejects the Trinity, they're in extremely serious trouble. It's not a tertiary issue. It's not an old man issue that we should forget about. It is a serious issue because it talks to the nature of God. And those who don't recognize God and believe that he is not in Trinity um, probably don't know God. I would assert they don't know God, and therefore their souls are in mortal danger. They need to repent and believe. So they might believe many of the same things, but if they reject the Trinity, they actually reject God. It is one thing, you know, to say that you accidentally have spoken incorrectly. Like I on, just did. Yes, 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 exactly. So versus saying, no, I absolutely refuse. This is false. I don't want to believe this. You are wrong, Michael and Sebastian. No, that's actual full rejection versus speaking, you know, an accident about yep. God. And again, I don't know. I understand it is traditions now. So somebody who's raised in a oneness Pentecostal group, I understand why they reject the Trinity, right? And then they have to work out of that if they're called by God out of that cult um, because that's how they were raised. But those who come to this conclusion on their own, I'm so sorry, I had to fix the camera. I don't remember where I was, but the if you're coming out of that, that Unitarian cult, um, I can understand why you have to work through that, that tradition. But um, those who come up with the, the conclusion on their own, they come, oh yeah, I think God is unitary. Um, against again against all regular church teaching against what their brothers fellow brothers have to say i don't know what the motivation for that is except being tempted by the devil because it's not a hard tradition to understand it comes straight from the word and it's really inarguable so they might have been trapped by another person that lured them in with um, some simple teachings that were anti-trinitarian and they didn't have the counterpoint so they believed in trinity but again i believe that a believer will quickly repent when faced with the truth so they might be holding to the to a unitarian view right now but they should be told to repent and explain why and they should repent then so i can't give you a time frame for that i can't say like if they don't repent within seven days they're not a real christian but whatever it is they should quickly repent at some point and turn back because this is a core essential christian doctrine it's not it's not an uh-oh spaghettios category a lot while ago i think our third episode mm-hmm. is who who is our brother who do we consider brothers and there are there are tertiary issues there are secondary issues like homosexuality and other sins that are grave and evil we can still consider you a brother in christ we just think you're in grave sin and need to repent 
um, like sexual morality or many other sins that we've got in that category, but they are primary issues. And the Trinity is one of those primary issues that you can look really close to Christians, but if you don't have the Trinity right, we would call you not a Christian. You're not just a brother in sin. You are not a brother. And so for those who are playing around with, with primary issues, um, we think those are incredibly serious and dangerous, and that's why we put up an episode like this. So the Trinity might not be like the flashiest thing to talk about, because again, it strikes me kind of as an old man issue that was debated long ago, and nobody mm-hmm. should care about it now. But we should care about it. It's just important and, and lovely to think on how God is because of how unique he is and how we love him. Um, but also it is under attack all the time. So if we forget about it and forget how good of a truth it is, the enemy will surely swoop in and try to pervert it. He always does. I mean, the Jehovah's Witnesses aren't a um, super old cult. You know, they're from like the 1910s. As a segue, you know, to show you why it is important on a personal basis, because we do want to, we also, I also want to touch on that. So this isn't just, you know, some belief that you have to check to be a Christian. This actually affects your standing with God. So, but before we get there, and I'm glad you said the word, a beautiful concept, because it is. I think that we should ponder more in our prayer on the Trinity. This is something that the Eastern Orthodox, of all things, you know, that they do very wrong, they do very well. They have a solid understanding of the Trinity precisely because of all the issues that came up in the East, Eastern Roman Empire at the time. So because of so many issues, they had so much time to think it through, develop it, and then, you know, put it in words for us to have a good understanding of it. There were many faithful years of, of Eastern Orthodoxy. So though we would not call them brothers in Christ anymore, their church has a history of being true brothers. Yes, yes. Likewise, with Roman Catholicism, I would have hands down... Actually, yeah, I would have no, yeah, I was, I would have it hands down joined before the Fourth Lateran Council. Take that from me, of all people. Okay. So I would have joined before the Lateran Council of the Roman Catholic Church. So one Eastern father, one of the Cappadocians, I think it would be good, worthwhile to read if you're into church history. If you want just some good prayers, you know, some something to for for your own devotional time. The Cappadocian fathers, they are very they're very readable. One of them is called Gregory of Nazianzus. Gregory Nazianzen, also known as, as that. Quickly, in one of his prayers, he writes the following on the Trinity. No sooner do I conceive of the one than I am illumined by the splendor of the three. No sooner do I distinguish them than I am carried back to the one. When I think of any one of the three, I think of him as the whole. And my eyes are filled, and the greater part of what I am, thinking escapes me. I cannot grasp the greatness of that one so as to attribute a greater greatness to the rest. When I contemplate the three together, I see but one torch, and cannot divide or measure out the undivided light. It's a big, long, drawn-out way of saying three versions of one. Yes. What it goes to say is they had a they had good explanations and, yes. and they went on that. So again, this is from the four hundred. So you know, yeah. I don't I don't know what it. I remember that one actually. I, did, I remember many church fathers sayings, but I actually do remember that particular one because it's so um, notorious. It's not notorious. It's like um, it kind of sounds dumb. <laughs> no, I remember that's what I took it. I was like, it's kind of a dumb thing, but whatever. Yes, you can see he's trinitarian. That's what he's trying to do. It just seems inartful in the way he's like. When I contemplate the three, I only see but one torch. Okay. Yeah. The I feel Eastern, like he's forcing that one, but whatever. Yes, the Eastern Orthodox are more into the 
the experience of God. With that, that's another rabbit trail. Let's not let's not go down that rabbit trail. But but the way that the Trinity should impact you is as follows, and this is something I have mentioned in my in my study. The concept of pericoresis, pericoresis, I suppose an American would say would say it like that. Pericoresis would say that is the relationship the in the deep and perfect indwelling of the persons of the Trinity with one another, and the Son. As I, as I mentioned before, doesn't rebel against the Father secretly and then goes and does his own thing. No, he fully gives of himself to the Spirit and the Father. The Spirit fully gives of himself to the Father and the Son. The Father fully gives of himself to the Son and the Spirit. Selflessly. selflessly. Yes, I think, I think that's the right word. And then also perfectly. In a way, I would say the, the idea of relationships and love are based on the relationship that inspired by in the image of the relationship between the triune the triune nature of god mm -hmm. so in a way in a pastoral sense we as christians i think and in heaven for sure we will fully give ourselves in service to one another without any of our selfish ambitions our sin our own you know laziness and whatnot mm -hmm. it will be in the image of the relationship of the trinity that's something of how it applies in our lives. So I think we have we can use that as an example of how we should be as part of the body of Christ. Now, as on a more practical level, on a really personal and theological level, understanding the Trinity is important because if the Father is, you know, just putting on masks, who who died on the cross? Who is he atoning to? Who is interceding for? Is the father interceding for himself? It causes a lot of confusion. You need to you need to have a lot. You need to have a solid understanding on this because we the entirety of Hebrews is the again showing a summary of the Old Testament and the fulfillment of Christ as fulfilling for him fulfilling the law, his role as priest, and also him interceding for us now and forever with the Father. So, if you think that. Jesus is the father you know there's some mm -hmm. changing changes up there really wrecks the whole point of Hebrews thus you're just discarding a whole epistle from the Bible well and it causes so I guess they think it's like more apologetically like defensively sound to say that God is one they're like it's confusing you know I'm confused whenever I see I use the southern because you know there are so, Unitarians are usually uh, from the south um one is Pentecostals, I should say. Um, they say, you know, it's confusing when I hear, you know, that Jesus isn't the Father. Ah, it's too confusing for me. I'd rather have them all be one person, you know, just to baptize the name of Jesus. I know that guy, friendly face, fun beard. Um, but the the thing is, you open up way more apologetic problems, defensibility problems, because like you just said, Sebastian, who is Jesus dying for? Who is he 22? Who is he high priest to? How is he reigning in heaven if he's here with us on earth? All of that, you suddenly are open to like way more issues if you reject the Trinity and you gain, I guess, the what you call more defensible position of a God just being one being and person and, and all unified like that. You, you really lose a lot more than you gain, even in theory, let alone in practice. And who's sanctifying you? Did God just abandon his throne in heaven to be inside of us? As Jesus would say, I will send the paraclete, the, the helper, mm -hmm. which is the Holy Spirit. And what Paul talks about, we're temples of the Holy Spirit many problems are caused that way who atone for you who do you have peace with who's transforming you at the moment 
you're, you're, you, don't ha you, you cannot have that relationship with God and consider yourself a son or daughter of God. The reason why we have that peace is because the three persons have a job that they have, that they have fulfilled and are carrying out now. Jesus died, atoned for us, intercedes for us at the moment as high priest and king of kings. And also the father pretty much holds the universe together and has ordained all things beginning and end. And the spirit at the moment to us, the church, he intercedes for us to the son if we cannot if we cannot come up with words and also he the spirit is the one who transforms us to the image of jesus christ who is the god man mm -hmm. and some other these are just some other tertiary issues that i should talk about i don't think these are the major trinitarian issues but and I, don't, I don't know that we'll really hash them out here too much but um, there are some debates around that go around these really are old man issues so you'll see like old okay. men like john pastor john macarthur and others that talk about these but there's some concepts called like the eternal subordination of the son and that's in reference to the roles that each one of the the persons in the trinity take has the son jesus the word of god always been subordinate to the father because today we would say that though they are equal in worth and power that the son has chosen to enter into a subordinate relationship with the father as his son right as he as he did in the person of jesus like he, he did the whole jesus thing right and now reigns forever under the father so the father has placed him at his right hand so you could say it's kind of odd that the father would be doing these things for the son considering the son could do them himself we would say that the son has voluntarily chosen a role of subordination under the father that doesn't mean he's less than the father in worth or power but he has subordinated himself as a role and so some would say that he's eternally subordinated himself so from the very beginning of time he was always subordinate to the father which brings up some questions of like some would say well then isn't really the father the first um being to ever have existed and then out of him came the son because he had to be subordinate so logically one had existed before the other i don't i would not take things that far um mm -hmm. i don't even know that you need to why are we even examining this <laughs> it seems kind of dumb right we know that we know that jesus is subordinate to the father now um in the way that he is and so does it really matter how he got there we would say that we would never go as far as to say that Jesus did not exist at one point. So if he was eternally subordinate, okay, um, but we would say that it's, that does not conclude in him not having existed, and the same for the Holy Spirit. And then equally, some other random other stuff that you, I've heard before, and these are really fringe, and I don't think particularly important to flesh out, because I don't think believing in them or not um, should change much if you're doing them right, but they can lead to bigger issues if you take them run with them um, too much, and that is, when Jesus took on flesh, so the word became flesh, did the word also leave heaven? So was the father in heaven without the word in heaven when Jesus was on earth? Some would argue, and I'm kind of sensitive to this, so it's, it, but it's really fringe and we don't have biblical evidence to say whether or not this is the case. <laughs> so I'm not going to take it and run with it. And I don't suggest you doing either, but it's something to, I guess, know is a thought out there. I would say the word did still exist in heaven. And that's how God is able to speak when he speaks out of heaven. Um, in, in the baptism example, when he speaks through the cloud, that, that Jesus is actually the word, right? So the word is actually how the Father speaks. He speaks through the word. So those words, those intelligible words that we're hearing, are actually the word in heaven proclaiming things to the word on earth. And so um, I know that's an odd view because it almost is like four persons right the mm -hmm. word in heaven and then the word on earth plus holy spirit plus the father so it could be wrong and i wouldn't want to enter into some heresies so i'm perfectly happy to say that the word did leave heaven but it does seem strange that the word um was absent because the word is how the father 
does things. He does things through the word, right? He, he created the world with word, right? So he thought and the word spoke things into existence. So I would postulate that the word still existed and reigned in heaven, but not as Jesus. And then Jesus on earth, the word incarnate, um, came up to heaven, was fully glorified again with his father. I would caution, that's just my take, I would caution on that because for my, for my, for my, from what I would think is the incarnation was a very unique time in all of history. Mm-hmm. And I was, I would, I would even grant that for that moment the Father speaks on his own while Jesus is on earth. That's just could my be, right? We don't really understand God fully, or we don't understand God fully. So yes, it could be that that is wrong. But these are, again, these are fringe issues. They're tertiary. I would not make them big yes. theological stickers because we don't have <laughs> we don't have any more than what I just described yes. to you for that issue either. And also, I think it is worth mentioning, and it's important, while Jesus was on earth, he was no lesser in value as, as God than the Father. He because even he says himself, he humbled himself, took the nature of a human, yes, but he didn't just stop being God. He was still God at that moment. Yes, but he did put certain limitations on himself. Yes. He wasn't omniscient and other things like that. Yes, exactly. He and was in perfect step with the spirit of God, which is how he knew things that other people wouldn't, mm-hmm. right? He knew the hearts of people. He knew he'd read minds and other things like that. But I believe it was under counsel from the Holy Spirit. I don't think he, um, I don't think he was, one, separate from the Holy Spirit, and two, I don't think his physical body was like somehow psychic. I think that he was <laughs> receiving word, uh-huh. wisdom from the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Because they're in unison and they, they're one, they're one in nature. Mm-hmm. And also, Jesus says, you know, you probably know the quote better than me. Like, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. Mm-hmm. Still, again, showing the authority that he has. Yeah. With all that said, hopefully it wasn't too boring and hopefully it touched on actual issues that you cared about. So that was the Trinity. That's the reason we serve that very same Lord Jesus Christ about our cause and serving that Lord Jesus Christ. I've been Michael the Band behind the machine, and to my right, your left has been Sebastian the Bookkeeper. Thanks for listening. If you want to see the rest of our episodes, you can find cause.podbean.com and download them all for your listening pleasure. That's just the audio, though. If you want to see our videos, you have to go to youtube.com and search us up, The Found Cause, there, or you can go to facebook.com forward slash The Found Cause and search us there. We're also on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever else you might find your podcast. Until next time, we talk about something completely different. Thanks for listening. Bye bye. Goodbye.